Hey, I'm Alex Bonifer, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. Can I see it? Jesus. You think Gertrude's what I should do? You're asking me? Yeah. I mean... I think so. Yes. Okay. Then that's what I'll do. You trust me to decide the rest of your life. You have a sense of direction. Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for the AMC series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're discussing episode three of season two. It was called Ghost. Ooh. It was written by Sean Clements and Kate Loveless. Sean is a co-executive producer on the series and previously wrote the fantastic season one episode, The Grand Victorian. Kate is a staff writer and has the written by credit on one other episode from season one. It was called Broken. This episode was directed once again, and should be no surprise now, by Anna DeCosa. <laughs> and I'm like, Anna, buddy old pal, it's you again. I want to talk to you badly. <laughs> Just a community note, if you want to continue this conversation, please join us on Facebook in Kevin Can F Himself Fans Facebook group. You guys, we have lots of great conversation, lots of insight, really smart other fans wanting to chit chat with you. So come on over. Just a reminder that we assume you have watched this episode, so we're not going to give a step-by-step recap of the episode. If you haven't watched and you don't want to be spoiled, pause this, go watch episode three, and come back and take a listen. We'd love to have you back. Caroline, we're at episode three. This is the Halloween episode of Kevin Can Fuck Himself. It's kind of a weird way to say that, right? Because it's like the Halloween episode, but it's like not the Halloween episode. A Halloween-themed episode? Yeah, I mean, down to the title card. I mean, the title card uses like a cracked headstone, right? With the with Kevin mm-hmm. can fuck himself written across it. It's got spooky Halloween sounds in the background. There's a wolf. There's like a high pitched tone. It sounds like a scream. It's like their nod to a Halloween episode. Right, right. It's a little homage. First of all, you know I have I'm like spooked about everything. So this was one of those things where I you had a you had warned me to watch it during the daytime. Uh, yeah, because not that it was terribly scary, but it was definitely unnerving. All of the mortuary stuff, the which I think the show was going for, that kind of puts you in Allison and Patty's shoes, the wandering around a mortuary where there's just stacked dead bodies, you know, the falling into an open grave, which has to be on a lot of people's top 10 fears, if you've ever thought about it, falling into an open grave in a cemetery in the dark. That's kind mm. of horrifying. Yeah, no, it's, it makes me jumpy. Yeah. Yeah, if they had done more like jump scares, it would have like made you poop yourself. That was the kind of vibe. That was the kind of vibe. 
of uh, of the episode. They have that whole conversation that's Halloween. They celebrate the 31st of every month. But the fact that there is no other Halloween stuff in this episode, there's no one on the street trick-or-treating, there are no decorations. This feels like it's either September 31st, September, September doesn't have 31 days. No, but August he, does. But August does, but he says the Patriots are getting killed which I guess they maybe in preseason they're already having a bad season. So it's either August 31st or November. No, but that doesn't feel right. If the August feels right. The interesting thing about the title card uh, this episode was that it came super late in the episode. There was almost eight minutes into the episode the cold open lasted before they hit the title card. There was a lot of ground to cover before they got there. Let's uh, hit the sitcom clock. I only tracked the present day sitcom sections, so I did not track any of the flashback stuff that was done in the multicam. Uh, And the present day multicam came in at about six minutes and 37 seconds. So very, very small part of the episode and i feel like every episode so far has been less and less focusing yeah. on on the multicam section which we talked about i i thought i think we could probably guess will continue to go forward to be the case i gotta think so i mean as the other side is speeding up our drama side i mean we just we don't have time for the antique side Season one didn't have a lot of top name guest stars. I mean, Robin Lord Taylor was probably the biggest named guest star they had who plays Nick, um, who, again, is still alive and still in this mm-hmm. world somewhere. But going into season two, several people were named as guest stars to be on the lookout. We got our first one in this episode three, Perry Gilpin, who has had a very long career. And if you look at her, her IMDb, has a ton of credits. But for me, she'll always be Roz from Frasier. Oh, a thousand percent. When she came on screen, I was like, Roz, what are you doing here, Bird? She's she's a good match for um, Annie Murphy as her mom. I think that they did a good job casting. You know, it's very believable. And um, and she just has that that kind of sarcasm that comes with her, mm-hmm. um, that comes with Roz, really. You can just it, you can just layer that in. She barely had to say anything. And you're like, oh, no, I know this woman completely. A hundred percent, which makes me feel like maybe that's a Perry feature, though, because the, even in this, even with the accent, it was still very... Very Roz-esque with the sarcasm and the dry wit, but like mm-hmm. a sharp, like you feel like you have to check yourself for like actual scratches <laughs> every time yeah. she says something because it's just so cutting. You know, the interesting thing was when we when we interviewed Valerie Armstrong and I talked about shows she's watching, she mentioned how she's actually still watching Frasier. And during the pandemic, she she watched Frasier a bunch. It was it was a bit of a night show for her, like a nighttime bed show for her, and still made her laugh, even though a ton of the jokes have aged so poorly. There there's some gay panic jokes in there there's a lot of inappropriate like sexual innuendo jokes especially at Roz's be- behalf or on Roz's behalf painting her as kind of uh, this this loose woman kind of stuff so interesting it, it's part of this whole we laugh at these comedies even if they haven't aged well and almost none of them age well but they still kind of make us laugh which maybe you know makes us kick ourselves but also makes us laugh which I guess explains why they were so successful for so many years. I'm so glad that they brought her in because she we need more backstory on Allison. And I know we're going to get to that point, but I want more understanding about like, you know, how did she get to be where she was? And like, who is her parents? It's bothered me this entire time that it seems like no one has any extended family. No one has an extended family. And for the person who the show is presumably about, we know so little about her, which I guess does make sense. Right. Because she is such an invisible figure in her own life and because being married to Kevin is like living in a constant eclipse. 
the fact that we don't know and that we're now only we're entering the 11th hour of this show and only starting to learn about her backstory kind of does track it does make sense but it's also also very disquieting that we don't know anything about her it's also easy to imagine that Kevin and the way he behaves and the way that he is so reckless and thoughtless with people that there would have been easily family turmoil early on in them getting together or getting married that would have yielded like hurt feelings and like bad situations where people don't talk to each other anymore. You don't really see each other anymore. Like that's very easy to, to put together. I separated the flashbacks into present day sitcom or multicam flashbacks and then the 2005 multicam flashbacks. So let's start there. 2005, this is actually in single cam. Allison, clearly a younger Allison, they changed her hair color. They de-aged her a little bit, though Annie Murphy still, you know, plays very young if you don't make her look older. She's at her father's wake. He was a police officer, which I don't think was something we knew or at least not something I remembered. It's certainly not something that that they lean on, especially because the police have come into into it quite a bit. You know, I mean, in theory, it would have been a local precinct that he would have been a part of in Worcester. So it's kind of weird that it's like why for as much involvement with the police that it hasn't come up that her dad was an officer. Wait, now, I mean, my my brain is so cobwebby. I think it actually does come up in season one. I think it comes up when she gets pulled over for the car being stolen. Okay, I think she actually does mention, too, because I think that's a Rhode Island cop maybe that stops her or a vermont cop whoever the trooper is that stops her i think she mentions to him or mentions in the car to patty that her dad was a cop now that i'm saying it they have brought up but they certainly have not highlight highlighted it given how much illegal activity her and patty have gotten well, up and to. But, but just and the brotherhood of cops like i mean we've been to several cop parties like the fact that she would be a daughter of a cop that's passed away like normally you'd be like oh i knew your dad you know like that kind of crap would like come up you know so yeah. they haven't hit that hard for sure right it's 15 years it's not that much time has been that he's gone that he would be not remembered by anyone who's on the force Mm-mm. yeah so the, the fact the fact that us who cover a podcast on the show and 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 probably have followed the details more than other had to sit here in live like real time <laughs> right. think about the fact whether or not we knew he was a cop is is a testament to how little they have played it up and the fact that cops are involved in the show one of the core cast members is a cop on the show and it doesn't come up how has allison never tried to bond with tammy over the fact that her dad was a cop you figure that would be a talking point and like gain some you know respect or something from tammy but no yeah or just some cover from being investigated like oh she's the daughter of a cop she's probably not doing anything illegal yeah something like allison not to use it you know that kind of thing is uh is interesting which maybe tells you a lot about it nice little detail she's wearing the pearls that we saw from last week in the scene in the wake I thought that was a nice little uh, continuity. And Gucci with two O's. Gucci with two O's. Not just her dad's uh, funeral suit, but also her dress. And also that she was responsible for getting her dad's funeral suit felt felt like ick. It made me feel like the mom, and we're going to talk about mom, I mean, now, but it made me feel like she would have just put them in, like, Sunday jogging clothes or, like, sweatpants. And and that Allison took it upon herself to send him off with a little more dignity, and that's why she got him a suit. I, I that you know what I mean? Like that yeah. it wasn't that the mom tasked her with doing it the same way she didn't task her with buying a honey baked ham. Allison, it seems like Allison went out of her way to take it upon herself so that her father would leave this world with 
you know, some more some of those lofty a goals, a little, a little more respectful, and some of those lofty goals that ham people would have. Ham people that made me laugh. I don't quite understand. I mean, I don't. I think ham is pretty ordinary. I didn't know honey that ham, ham was considered. She, she, that's the thing. It's that the it's honey baked ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the spiral honey baked ham. That's it up at all. I this mean, is that's not... the only ham we have. So I only know. I guess oh, I am a ham oh, person. Holy shit! I, I didn't mean, know. What's the whoa. difference? I don't know. I don't know what other kind of like ham, what what is it like the honey baked ham place where I always get the ham. I think it's more like you know versus like deli ham, like Hormel, or, or like or like sliced ham, or like. Oh, like a canned ham. ham a canned ham i'll go with okay yeah but like it's not that you know, would be very what was it christmas with the cranks when she's trying to get the canned ham uh yeah well that was a big deal i mean she has yeah. to like beat that old woman down like, but she said, wants that canned ham it was the last one they had in the store uh go listen to our 52 weeks of christmas podcast if you want to know more about uh christmas with the cranks <laughs> and canned uh, ham and canned ham um <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I I mean, one, Alice, watching Allison have an anxiety attack was interesting because Allison has been changed so much over the last 15 years since this happened. And I'm saying 15 years because in my brain, in my memory, the show is set in 2020. Um, I don't think they bumped it forward to 2021 or 2022. Allison today, I don't feel like would have this kind of anxiety attack or... Maybe she would, but it requires a level of having her first freak out with Kevin, right? Maybe it's actually pretty similar to what causes her to shatter the glass mug in episode one, way back in the beginning of the series. Yeah, it most definitely feels like a like a milestone moment in her brain of of like you know where she's at and and what like the trajectory of her life like definitely feels like it's changing maybe the birth of the tones maybe the birth of that high-pitched you know white noise that they that is associated with those panic attacks from season one yeah yeah i i gotta tell you i was surprised when i was surprised by it but then it makes sense that that's why you get perry gilpin when it switches to multicam when the mom enters the kitchen or enters the the dining room it lets you know where Allison grew up and how her life really was. If her experience with her mom is the same as her experience with Kevin, then it, it explains so much about why she was willing to overlook crap that Kevin said or did, you know, prior to being married, especially or like prior to being very far into this marriage or anything like that. Like she grew up in like this multicam being the butt of the joke, being told, you know, you're not ham people. You need to be doing this, doing that and just being like talked down to all the time. So she was very much, you know, groomed into being this type of wife with this type of husband. We marry our parents often. It's said that women will tend to try and marry their father and sons will be drawn to women who remind them of their mother. Here, with the father dying and being out of the situation, you can see where she would be drawn to a Kevin type because her mom is a Kevin type. Mm -hmm. She understands the role she plays within that situation. And so she can just slip right into it in her marriage, you know, same as she did as a kid. Well, are you going to pick that up or are we too good for the five second rule? Right. No one's even had any. It's too fancy. I never should have let you plan the wake. I bought a ham. It's not the end of the world. It's not that you bought a ham. It's that you think we're ham people. It's like that suit you put dad in. I don't even know where you got that. Well, it's Gucci, but it was spelled with two O's, so I thought it was fine. You just like your father. Real lofty goals, terrible follow through. It's 
spent 30 years bringing that man down to earth. What am I going to do now? Well, I guess I still have you to keep an eye on. Actually, I was thinking about going away to school. Oh, Allison. <laughs> College is for ham people. Imagine living a life where you're hearing these kinds of things on the regulars. That's a lot of self-esteem, not even suppression, but like choking the life out of it. This scene made me feel horrible for Allison, knowing that this is what her background was, but also makes her being with Kevin make so much fucking sense. I'm still going to get stuck on the hand people part. Like, I'm still I'm still wondering, like, so what should it have been there? Should it have been like casseroles? Cold cuts. Cold cuts? Okay. Okay. So sandwiches. Got you. Got you. But like, make your own. Like, not like not no six foot sub from the deli. Like, just slices of bread, slices of cold cuts, and you just kind of assemble your own. Okay. So was your family ham people or not ham people? No, not ham people. Ham people for like holidays. But not just like ham? No, dinner. no. I mean, even with <laughs> even with ShopRite now, when like, you know, twice a year for, no, no. for Easter and Thanksgiving, ShopRite up here in New York, they do like, if like you get like, you spend like three or $400 in the month leading up to it, you earn yourself, you can get like a ham or like a big uh, lasagna. I don't even get the ham. It's not going to use like, I have no use. Not ham people? I'm not because I, I I wouldn't even know what to do with the ham. Like I just take a lasagna <laughs> because I can handle. Like I'm lasagna people. Like frozen lasagna I people. I can't you. I can't handle the honey baked ham. That's 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 not me. I, I, do <laughs> I have you. servants? No. What? That's, that's, <laughs> what are you talking about? To prep the honey baked ham. ham? There's like ham pineapple is not slices. Servant level. I mean, I think like prime rib or something. I don't know something very spicy. Pineapple like, slices like a that go with or it. Some crap. So they, that seems very higher end to me. Uh, there's fancy. no servants to be so ham people. Glazing on it. That's too. I'm that's too rich a for ham me. Person. My dad just puts pancakes here upon it. It's not that fancy. Uh, is cold cuts regional? When I say cold cuts, you know what I mean. Yes, I know what it means. I don't know. I, this is the Packy story. I don't know if cold cuts is a thing. Like, it, it, I mean, yeah, sandwiches. I get it. It's like saying uh, uh, man jewelry is for Italians. That's oh wow. Was that last week? That was last week's episode. But it's a little bit true. Uh, yeah, not this Italian, but yeah. But overall, I, this is not something I've ever had an experience with. But the picking at the run in her stocking to the point that she finally rips it off in like a rage moment felt like yeah. very much like a metaphor, right? Opening up a scab kind of metaphor. But yeah. as a woman, I don't know how you guys wear stockings that would drive me crazy if i had a run like that i would also rip them open it's like when some it just can't, nothing can go right that day you know when that type of thing happens it's it's definitely um like a cliche like and i had a run in my hose like that it's just one of those like one more thing like it's not that big of a deal but it but it has the effect of making you feel and look like very disheveled and very just like like nothing can go right and and so like as soon as i saw that it was like the way that she was just fidgeting with it and picking at it and it's hard not to like if there's just the tiniest bit of a string or something i spent with painting i was like i have an incessant need to like continue to find that little tiny little the little flaw in the in the pantyhose and all i want to do is pick at it and it does immediately rip into a huge hole it's a, it's it was a really good visual you know like when you're sitting you naturally rest your hands on your thighs and that's typically like these are where the little runs are going to be there's just something about it being just like right under your fingertips and it just kind of just uh, just kind of bugging at it but it it was it was a very good visual because then she ends up obviously taking the pantyhose off because when she's at the bar she's bare-legged and doesn't have them on anymore and she's like already kind of transforming you know out of that she wanted to be a little black dress pearl wearing headband you know 
know, really hair just so pantyhose kind of girl, ham people. And, and she's just, it's already, she's kind of quickly falling away from that life. I mean, the way she's dressed for the funeral is she could have, you know, been in like, gone to like the private school and like cruel intentions. Right. I mean, it's kind of curious about what exactly that part of her life really was, because she's obviously trying to be something other than whatever this family is. And so I don't I don't want to make it act like better than or any of that, because I think that's all like silly talk. It's just like she was trying to hang on to something. Her grandmother had pearls. So she comes from a family that had some amount of wealth in a way that that she had a real set of pearls. So, you know, there's there's something there where there's like little flashes in the pan of being I must say ham people, but other members just not allowing that to happen. Curious. I and and I think we could probably make a bet here, but the grandmother who had the pearls probably her father's mother, not her mother's mother. I'll go with you on that. Because I would imagine Donna, that's the name of her mom, maybe doesn't have such ham people uh, biasy if her uh, grandmother The idea that pearls. she like has that phrase in her pack pocket and I didn't even know that was a thing is like, yeah, I think that she comes from a, a non-ham people world. It's very much just associated for like holidays for me. Apparently, you don't have ham at all. Like you have cold cuts and lasagna. Well, I have cold cut ham. I have deli ham. I have deli ham in my refrigerator now, but not like off of a slab where I had to like carve it. Off of a slab. Yeah, like they had it like in like that you see there where you would have to like literally carve the ham down. I thought the five second rule thing was like, oh my god, how funny! <laughs> I my I know my son would appreciate that. He definitely subscribes to the five second rule. So all I could think was a hair being all over that ham. Yeah, like, and it's a mortuary. It's not like their living room. Like they're literally in a. Yeah, they're in. I, I gotta tell you, Copa Bianco mortuary, funerals, embalmings, and burials. What a business card that must look like. That's what it says on their sign: funerals, embalming, and burials. Oh, Copa Bianco's. So weird. The, the whole the whole experience of being in a mortuary and I've been in a funeral home just yesterday. It's there's something that's just it's so unnerving. It's so um, just like get you right like deep in the feels the whole time that that just setting it there this entire story. Oof, 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 oof. Yeah, no, it's instantly unnerving. There's actually a really interesting line where they're walking and they're making their way to the downstairs. And Allison says, you know, this house really is gorgeous. And it definitely sounds like the line where just nervous energy wise and you just want to fill the space of a creepy place with sound that that someone would say. But she's right. Mm -hmm. She's right. But we often don't think about I mean, there the two mortuaries or two funeral homes that are like near me are both gorgeous like old mansion houses but because they're so associated with death no one ever really sits there and thinks about it no one ever stops and says right. oh what a lovely house to, be, <laughs> to have a wake in right it's pretty or right. gorgeous i mean that's dramatic but it it, it it is though it's a big old mansion house so well we also know the little slice of allison's heart that actually really cares about houses you know i mean when you think about how much she was lusting after in, in season one like living in like a planned community and having this new home like there is a portion of her that that pays attention to that type of thing. Uh, yes. And it's interesting. It's a nice continuity with her that even in this moment, she can kind of still allow herself to have those thoughts. You know, I'm that type of person. I'm, I'm always like looking at the architecture and like being like, I like the flow of this place. 
let's pick up at Capo, Capo Bianco's. So they meet Billy the PI. He explains to them that they want to go check out the inside bodies because they're the more recently dead. Yeah, this all made me sad, Mike. This whole concept of like people who who just basically have no one to pick them up, no one to identify. You know, not. I mean, they know their identities, but they're not. They're just. There's just no, no one cares one. enough to go do anything with them, right? Yeah. That's a whole thing. This isn't a John Doe. This is a person with a name and a job and stuff like that. But like nobody cares. Oof, right. that hurts my heart. Right. And I mean, you hear about stories about potter's fields, you know, from like the 1800s and like the turn of the century. But this is like a modern day version of like a potter's field. That cemetery out back behind Capabianco's is like a potter's field, mm. you know, except for they know who the people are. They're not, un- they're just poor. They were just poor and or no one cared enough to come get them. Yeah, that's the thing. The potter's field is the poor part, but this right. is not that. This yeah. is no connection. Just alone to in the world. Yeah, different standing white female gone between 1979 and 1991 you think you could pass for 30 okay the pi wrote that not me oh that explains why it's written in the margins of a boston whaler brochure little online presence no surviving loved ones on vacation on vacation yeah well if she died here but is from another state her social security number is probably still active oh on vacation in worcester i thought the new you couldn't get any sadder (laughs) It was one thing I thought for Billy, the PI, to understand and explain to them, you need more recent bodies and you you need an actual person instead of forging documents because this identity has to last you a lifetime. So you really need like an actual person to, to take over their life. But it was really Allison explaining when it was just her and Patty more in depth about, you know, you want to, you want to focus on someone who was on vacation because then their social security number would still be more, would more likely not have been flagged for being dead yet. Like the level of detail and research that she had done, I found interesting and also unnerving. Like she's going forward with this plan. This is not just a, this is not a flash in a pan plan. Yeah, no, this is really happening. And I think you're right that this, it finally felt extremely real. Like, we're now going to go try to figure out what your new name is going to be and deal with, like, dead bodies. Like, this is very real. So funny that Patty takes hears all of this and she focuses it on the fact that someone went to vacation in uh, Worcester. <laughs> and they and that's what really upset her more than anything else. <laughs> uh, they really, they, it's so funny how they shit on this town because we didn't even talk about it in episode two. But Kelly, the reporter, her reaction to Kevin is the reader are going to love him like they really are taking their shots at at this town and the towns that that this town represents because these are real people like the real people live in these it's not like this not like uh, the the simpsons springfield there's a real place that they're talking about and man they are unrelenting I had to go to to what Valerie said was that, you know, that they would, this is based on her brother's roommate and that he, he had both this combination of like pride, but also like completely knew that the town he was from was like, you know, a shithole is basically how she described it. And that, and, but, but still having all this pride in it. And, and it is, I mean, I do think they walk this line when they're trying to describe towns like this, where it's like, yeah, everybody knows each other and everybody all this, but you know, and also there's this and that, all these different characteristics. But you're right; it, it's hard to like kind of stomach how much they they do try to act like this is this is like horrible, horrible. There's nowhere for anyone to go, and everyone always wants out, and nobody can seem to ever get out. Right? That's like the game is rigged. Everyone wants out except for the Kevins, and it's because of people like the Kevins that keeps everyone in. 
right? It's like the game, the game is set up by them and run by them. It's set up for them and run by them. And, mm-hmm. and everyone else is just kind of a slave in the system it, to it. You're just like the, um, what do you call the, the people in the background, the video games? Uh, like non-playable characters, NPCs. They're yeah. like NPCs. That's that's what Allison and Patty and all them are. They are hundred NPCs. Very little agency over any of their decisions. Nope. So it doesn't uh, matter. Uh, go check out our Westworld podcast for more discussion <laughs> about NPCs. There you uh, go. Uh, season four of Westworld. Michelle Bourgeois. Wait, Michelle Borges. Feels like you're just burning through names. Well, Allison, I gotta go. I know. I know. You have plans. Thought you hated board games. What are you talking about? Just saying you don't have to pretend to like a thing just to make someone happy. I found her. Born in Connecticut. Died on the Mass Pike near Grafton in a very violent pileup. No kids, no husband. Okay, can you be quiet, please? The article about the accident only mentions her name once. No obit, not even a co-worker who was guilted into doing a GoFundMe to pay for the funeral. Completely unremarkable and alone. Gertrude Franch? Uh-huh. You want me to be someone named Gertrude Franch? And she's 10 years older than me? Well, you look really good for your 40s. No, 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 not happening. Sorry. Now, first, I have to say, this room has to smell horrible. These are just bodies stacked in plain boxes. This is not a refrigerator room because there's no breath coming out of their mouth. This is just a basement of dead bodies stacked. So creepy. I was expecting drawers. I was not expecting them to be stacked. Not. Yes. Yeah. I was really unnerved by this. The 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 idea of what was in those boxes really, really unnerved me. And I'm not squeamish about that, people. I know that this never puts me off. Like, I don't have to turn away from movies or TV shows that deal with, like, death or anything like that. I found this all very disquieting. I found it very unnerving just knowing that all of those stacked boxes just had corpses in them. Yeah, no. <laughs> and on the flip side, I'm scared of everything, and this scares the shit out of me. <laughs> uh, I, you know, this is this whole thing searching for this new identity and the right background and the right age and the right name is playing out against another subtext here, where earlier Patty had mentioned that she needs to she has plans with Tammy, so she needs to kind of get this done. And Allison in this scene picks the time to be really salty about her plans and about board games and saying, you know, I, why are you pretending to like board games when you don't and calling her out on that? And, and Patty is not listening because Patty is just really being giddy about the fact that she found Gertrude Franch, the most sad storyline <laughs> and existence. No social media presence, no family, no friends. No one gives a shit this woman is dead, but she is. And though she's 10 years older than Allison, it's the perfect fit. And she has a hilariously horrible name. And she has a... Gertie. I mean, Al, Patty is doing Franch, a... Franch. Franch. I mean, it hardly Franch. seems real. Yes. Uh, and for all the Gertrude Franches out there that are listening, we apologize for the show <laughs> taking your name to task. Um, but, yeah, so... so What's really going on here, though, because part of this, and it comes in a little bit later, is Allison says that she doesn't want to settle for Gertrude Franch because unlike Patty, who pretends to like things, she can't do that. She gets on a little bit of our high horse. It's a way for her to take a swipe at Patty, but also saying, like, this is what sends her off to the cemetery to continue looking. Is it because it's really a name she can't live with or is it their second thoughts or does it have nothing to do with the dead bodies? And it is about 
Patty not being focused on this and being more focused on getting out and done and going to be with Tammy. I mean, I think that there is a portion that Allison wants her to be invested in this mission and everything. And the idea that it can just be, you know, treated so lightly, like I just got to get to game night. It's like if she was like, I got to go do some errands or whatever. Like it's, it sounds so blase, like whatever. We're just picking a dead body for you to become. Obviously, this is Allison's entire life. Like she wants Patty to care. She wants Patty to take it, you know, with more gravity. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think that Allison wants to have this wonderful life. And also this person that she chooses has to be this person who has no life, who has right. nobody who would miss her or not, or, or think, you know, go looking for her or whatever. So it's this weird mix of like, but she wants somebody who's like successful and has like a wonderful life because she wants to have this better life. So she doesn't want to pick up someone's life who is like sad and, and alone and everything. That's all understandable, but like you can't, that can't work, you know? Right. You can't and Patty have, says you can't that to her. Someone. And Patty in a little bit of exasperation kind of, you know, says that to her. She says, you, you need to find a loser so you want a loser with a fantastic name and a wonderful life like you can't yeah, she's making the same point you are you can't have it both ways like you kind of have to also yeah there's a little bit of this you have to do some of the lifting yourself right because what you're saying is exactly what think back to i think it's episode two of season one that begins with uh allison in a daydream where she's like sitting seaside reading a book and the waitress comes over and like she's living like this idyllic best version of her life if Gertrude Franch is going to have that, it's because she's going to have to make that happen. She's not going to inherit that kind of life from Gertrude Franch. Right. Which is maybe, again, like kind of like, you know, looking at Allison, like you want everything handed to you. You know, you like you just want to inherit someone's wonderful life. And the reality is, you know, you're going to have to work for it. And I think that comes into the whole, you know, concept of like the sense of direction. And she says she has a bad sense of direction. And Patty's like, no, you just need to pay more attention. That whole portion also, it, fe- that it feels like it comes under that same heading. Like she's like, I have all this potential and I, I want to I want to have all the success and blah, blah, blah. But also, like, I don't want to work for it. And it's like. It's like, I feel like Patty's comment about direction is like, you need to pay attention. You, If you want that, if you want a good sense of direction, you have to pay attention and do, do the work it takes to have a good sense of direction, you know? And same deal. If you want a successful life, you're going to have to actually put the work in to make a success, successful life. You okay? Yeah. But you left. I knew you'd never find your way around here alone. I didn't know I'd find you at the bottom of a grave. Well, got lost. You ever think it's not that you have a bad sense of direction? You just gotta pay attention to where you're going. Maybe. You're 100% right. And, And when Allison says, I used to think North was just what's in front of me, Allison has to know she sounds silly when she says that. I can't think she means this literally. I, I feel like she's talking in like metaphors here. Um, yeah, so it, it's an interesting back and forth only, and it's, it's heightened. This whole conversation is heightened because the end of the episode, and it plays into the flashback. So we, we're going to have to d- dissect it a little bit, but ultimately Allison tells Patty that she's going to trust her and go forward with Gertrude Franch because Patty has a sense of direction. Can I see it? Jesus. You think Gertrude's what I should do? You're asking me? Yeah. 
I mean, I think so. Yes. Okay. Then that's what I'll do. You trust me to decide the rest of your life. You have a sense of direction. <sighs> I don't. It feels. It feels. <laughs> Why does it exasperate you so? It feels more like what we're talking about. Feels more like that she trust. It feels less that she trusts Patty and more that she just doesn't want to do the work herself, or she doesn't want to be held responsible for the consequences of her actions. And so, if she can say, "I only did this because Patty told me to," it lets her off the hook to some extent. If it all goes to shit, I do agree with you that Allison does, you know, tend to hedge her bets like that, where it's like, "Well, I can just blame, you know, Sam. I can blame Kevin. I can, I can blame Neil. I can blame Pete. I can, I can blame someone else if this." doesn't work out so i i do see that angle of it honestly like there's no other better choice really that comes out it's not like she has like five choices and she allows patty to choose one i mean really this gertrude franch situation is the only one that seems workable so i don't even know if she needed to say all that i do think she's trying to get patty to feel more invested in uh-huh. this entire decision and by saying, you know, I'm going to allow, allow you to choose my new identity, somehow that does kind of make her be a part of it, even when she's really not trying to be a part of it. Before we discuss this more, we have to get into the flashbacks because th- this final scene when, when Patty comes in and looks at the bruise and God, her face is just taking a beating between her neck from Neil and the door from from uh, from Kevin kicking it in her face. The amount of times she says Jesus, I, that I like Patty's Jesus is like stuck in my brain. Yeah, but it's all warranted. Every time she says Jesus, it's totally warranted because it is dramatic. I mean, her face is fucked up in this scene and she's using frozen peas. But we have to get into the flashbacks from when it picks up at the bar because that really informs, I think, the end of this episode. We have to set the table, though. Allison admits to Patty that she has been in Capo Bianco's mortuary before. It's where her father's wake was held. It's the same day she met Kevin and Patty. Don't you remember, Patty? And Patty says, no, I don't remember. Allison calls this the worst day of her life. Then it's Patty who has the memory and takes us into the bar in the flashback, which is interesting. She says, no, I don't remember that. But she does remember it because it's clearly the way the show is showing it. It's clearly her memory of them meeting at the bar. The two of them bond over parents and drinking to honor them, right? Allison is getting drunk at the bar on beer, which even though she doesn't really like beer, Patty shares the fact that she got drunk and threw up Bailey's when she was 11 behind the church when her mom died. They have a little bit of a bonding moment. There's some nice back and forth here. A friendship is born. Then they come back to the flashback and we have this Meet Kevin audio clip here. Why do I get the feeling that no one in this bar is having as much fun as you are? Because no one ever does. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not very good at fun. Yeah, I can tell. You're dressed all fancy. Oh, it's not fancy. It's Gucci, but with two O's. But it's too binding, you know? I mean, if you want to have fun, you got to be ready to haul ass at any moment. Haul ass? From what? Bouncers, Yankee fans, various nocturnal animals. (laughs) You think he's joking? He had rabies last week. (laughs) 
I'm Kevin. Rabies free since Friday. <laughs> and this is Neil and Doug, my two best buds in the whole world. Um, hello? And that's Neil's sister. Oh, we, uh, we met at the bar earlier. Run for your life. You look like you, uh, need a drink. Oh, uh, well, I love a beer. Whoa, a chick who likes beer? I didn't know they exist. Hello? So, uh, you want a bottle or a tap? Uh, tap sounds great. That'll be $5. <laughs> what did you think of this meet cute between Kevin? We've all thought about how did these two meet? How did they get together? Is this what you thought in your head it would look like? A tap dancing joke? And 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 Allison being drunk? <laughs> Allison being drunk. Allison um, faking to like something she doesn't actually like in front of all the group of friends. You know, when the, when the one guy, Doug, says... I never a girl who likes beer, you know, like I never even knew a girl who likes beer. And of course, Patty's like sitting right there drinking beer. But still, Allison's already not being her true self, you know, with this with Kevin. So it's like clearly this is a bad start to things. Which is so funny because she had just in the present 15 years later is lambasting and making Patty feel like shit for lying about liking board games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's she she doesn't. The lack of, you know, awareness is the lack of awareness well, startling. well, well. No, but not starting. It's just startling, well, well, startling. well. Yeah, it's well established that she just does not, you know, ever look back at her own self about these things. So it was Patty's memory when she and Allison are the only two at the bar. Then there's the intervening scene where Allison goes into the cemetery. She falls into the grave. She has a panic attack. Then that's when it's a little bit later in the bar now. Allison's more drunk. Kevin has arrived with Doug and Neil and Patty. Then that that's Allison's memory. This is what I gather from this entire portion. She's drunk. It's been a shitty day. She has no idea what her like next steps are. And this guy is trying to make her laugh and he's being silly and he's being jokey and it doesn't come off like anything other than a goofy guy. So in that regard, like I didn't I wasn't off put by Kevin's tap dancing. I thought, of course, it was silly. But I, you know, if I was in that scenario, I would laugh and be like, good Lord, what I are you like doing? I thought it was a joke I would make actually in that scenario. I think lots of like, I don't think lots of guys would do something silly, you know, like because she was sad and he didn't, you know, and he said, you're like, you're obviously having a bad day, like that kind of stuff. Like, he, you know, he was trying to be, you know, cheering her up basically. And so there's something that was a little endearing about him which is shocking right but there's there's something that we never talk about with kevin that is important because if you ignore it i think it allows people to not really identify the kevins in their life when we talk about things like abusers in general right a lot of times people think oh like a child molester someone must be someone scary and horrifying and and you would run away from and the reality is no Child molesters who are who are successful at being a molester have to be actually very charming and very nice and someone you'd want to spend time around. That's the way they work. That's how they operate. When we're talking about Kevins of the world, these people are not going to be off-putting when you first meet them. They're not going to be someone that you immediately recognize the joke as being harmful to someone or being too obnoxious. You're probably going to laugh because they have a charm factor that is pretty undeniable at first. 
they wouldn't be successful if they didn't. They would never be able to get anyone into their into their web if they didn't have some sort of boyish charm to start with. It's just not funny when you have a mortgage with them or jobs or bills or anything else. Like Then it's not funny. But when you're in a bar and everyone's drinking and he's doing a silly dance, very charming, very endearing and good for us audience members to remember Like when someone says, how could Allison get involved with a guy like this? This guy that she's involved with is not who she met. The guy she met was funny and silly and trying to cheer her up, cared somewhat about her feelings because he was trying to cheer her up. That's not who she lives with now. And the stakes are completely different having to live a life with him versus meeting in a bar. Uh, you're 100%. I 100% agree. I think that's totally right. I would also point out for for listeners to go back and watch it. She says to him at the start, why do I think you're the one having the most fun in this place? And she kind of slurs it. And he's like, because I am, because I'm always having the most fun. And then he kind of takes a dig at her for looking fancy. And she mentions the Gucci, the Gucci with two O's. The two O's. But he's also... She He's wearing the pearls and those pearls are a source of agitation for Kevin 15 years later. They are a sign to him that she's either fancy or thinks she's better than or whatever. It's not. I think it's very important that she's wearing those pearls in that scene. And Kevin, even trying to flirt and pick her up, still kind of takes a dig at her fanciness. Like the signs are there. Right. He's just he's charismatic, though. He's charismatic. It comes off completely different. And, and I, and I think that for every single person who says like, I'm not really sure, you know, why in the world would she see anything in him? This is it. You know, this is it. This is the reason because he can be charming. Let's go back into real time because there's one more flashback to talk about in the episode, but we got to set the table a little bit for it. Take Mickey Mr. Board Games. Probably. Right. Yeah, I'll grovel. It'll be fine. I also could have left. Oh, I should have. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe that place is cursed for you. The night you almost got yourself buried alive, the last time you were there, it was the worst day of your life. Maybe find yourself a new funeral home? It wasn't the worst day of my life because of the wake. So this is when Allison and Patty are walking home. Uh, Allison is limping. She hurt her. She hurt her ankle. Patty is helping her. Patty has completely missed the board game night. Allison gives kind of a half-hearted sorry about that. They, Allison, uh, Patty says to her, "You should stay away from that mortuary. I think it's cursed. Between falling in the grave and hurting your ankle, and your dad having the wake there, and it being the worst day of your life." And Allison does something very interesting here. She stops, and she says. My father's wake was not the reason that was the worst day of my life. Mm-hmm. I think that's very cutting because Patty has to take some of that personally. Because even though she's maybe mostly talking about it was the day she met Kevin by by the intimation of that's why it was the worst day in my life. It's also the first day she meets Patty. Yeah, I was going to stop you when you said that Kevin was picking her up. Kevin didn't pick her up. Patty picked her up. Yeah. Yeah, Patty yeah. picked her up and drew her into that group. Ooh, that's a different story. Yeah, and, and but it gets worse then because then we have we have we go through the rest of the episode, which we'll talk about. But then she's in the bathroom. 
She's staring at herself with the peas. Then she has the final flashback. And the sequence of events here, I'm, I'm painting it out this way because I think the sequence of events is very important. She's staring at it. She looks mad. She looks angry. She looks dejected. She's holding her face with the bruise. She has this final memory. Patty's outside smoking. Allison comes out. Patty says, you're going to you know, go on a date with Kevin. She says, yeah, I told him that no one's ever made me a dinner before, a fancy dinner. He says he's going to make me a fancy dinner on Friday. And she's very happy about this. She's a little buzzed. She's a little drunk. She's going to walk home. She met a guy. The night wasn't a total waste. This funeral, the wake, the honey baked ham, her mom, not a total waste, right? She met a great guy who made her laugh. Patty scoffs, starts to say something or looks like she's going to say something, stops herself and then just says, good luck. We come back to the present. Patty comes in the bathroom. Then they have the scene, as we discussed it before. It comes off, why would you trust me? Is Gertrude Franch the right way? Why would you trust me with your life? It's because you have a sense of direction. My takeaway from this is Allison is remembering it's Patty who didn't come to her aid. Patty mm-hmm. knows who Kevin is and let her have the worst day of her life without her realizing it. Why then, in that sequence of events, would she trust her advice on Gertrude Franch? The way it plays out, Allison, in her mind, is blaming Patty for introducing her to Kevin, causing her to have the next worst 15 years of her life. Well, because the reason still stands. The reason in terms of like, she knows what's going to happen. She knows the the direction, if you will, that the that the path is going to take. She knew it and she was scoffing and laughing because she knew that this was going to go shitty with Kevin. And she can be pissed at her for not warning her about that. But she was still right. Patty was still right. Like she was scoffing for a reason. She was she was snickering to herself because she knew very well it wasn't going to go well. So she was correct. Like prediction, she gets like a check mark, right? So then it's oh. like knowing that she knew that that was going to go shitty. Why wouldn't you trust her the next time she had like a predictive path? Like she knew what was going to happen last time. And you can be pissed at her for not warning you, but that's not where they are now. You know, she wants the Gertrude Franch situation. I mean, I think Patty wants her to have what she wants at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's where I'm going is that she's proven herself an accurate predictor, even though it's like she you wish she would have warned you. It's a, it's an interesting thing because the, it, it it revived for me a source of tension from Allison's point of view against Patty in season one, where Patty knew all this shit with Kevin and the finances and raiding yeah. the bank account. I mean, it's it's Patty who tells her you have no money. Allison doesn't find that information out on her own. She doesn't right. find it out from Kevin. It's Patty who tells her that, and she's angry. She's like, "You didn't tell me." Like it's this it's this female relationship aspect of the show that Patty has never had Allison's back, and we learn all the way back to the beginning she could have warned her and she kept that information to herself i think there is some some anger there but i do like your explanation though of why she trusts her i think that makes a lot of sense if she dates kevin she's still in patty's orbit right right and she's not willing to act on on her any of her actual feelings for allison i don't know it's in her best interest in a lot of ways to be like yeah okay date kevin even if you can snicker i mean i think she was snickering at that he's gonna make me this elaborate meal because we all know i mean every single person could could guess how that went you know and and the question mark is really how they end up getting married i can see them dating for a while but how they get to that next step of getting married is like a hoof i wish i wish we will figure that one out but i don't think we're going to but it would be nice to know because that's a big step to go from like accepting a date 
a guy in a bar who's dancing around and being silly and even having some good dates and even kind of rolling your eyes like, oh, my God, my boyfriend, he's such a mess. That's all one thing. But the getting married, normally the track would be accidental pregnancy. Right. And you get pregnant and you end up tied to this guy for the rest of your life. But that's not their story. So what is their story? I don't know if we're going to know. I have a guess, but I agree. I don't know. We we don't know for sure. And I don't know that we're ever going to find out. Here, Here's my best guess. He meets her. He does the tap dancing. It makes her laugh. In the intervening years before they get married, she's got her mother. She no longer has her father who allowed her to have dreams about going to college, about having goals, about trying to do better. No, no. She's got a mother who says we're not ham people in those intervening years. So she's dating a Kevin. Her mom is a Kevin. And then remember at her wedding, he pants the priest. Remember that whole scene where she's talking to the gynecologist in season one and she's remembering it fondly. The same guy who tap danced to make her laugh in the bar X number of years later on the day of their wedding also made her laugh by pantsing the priest. I think that's how you get from A to B is she didn't realize the trap she was setting for herself and walking into herself because even on the day of their wedding, that stupid bullshit goofiness was still working for her. Again, going back to the original idea of you can be with a guy in your young 20s who's funny and silly and goofy and whatever, and he can have the exact same personality. And it is just not funny when you're having to pay bills and you're talking about having no savings account and you're not able to have any of the things you ever wanted to have because he's like constantly anticking around and spending all your money and doing all these kinds of things like it would get old. It's it's the type of behavior that grates on you over time. And that's what it basically takes for people to sort of understand like this is not okay. And so it's not even that anyone changed per se, because that's not a lot of things you hear like, oh, he he's still fun and he's still cool, but she's just lame and stupid. Uh-huh. Well, because the stakes of life have changed. Like she seemed like at one point there was some conversation about why they don't have kids because he can't take not being the center of attention. Right. I don't think when they got married that was her thinking was like i'm never gonna be able to have a family because kevin has to be the one everyone's looking at and laughing can't even have a dog wasn't right that probably wasn't the way she was thinking so i think as things unfolded it was like holy shit this is the one show and it's the only show that plays forever and ever and ever in your living room that's different you know well, and also, we, I mean, we'd be remiss. There's no Diane in this episode, but we were—we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the fact that after 22 years of following Chuck around, closing stuff behind him, she got to the point where she felt like she liked that. And more importantly, didn't remember who she was before that time. After a certain number of years of being Mrs. McRoberts, maybe she doesn't remember who Allison Devine is. I think she definitely doesn't know how to be her anymore. You know, she can have like memories of her and that kind of stuff. But, you know, she's fallen down her own slippery slope. You know, she she is as petty as anyone else in the whole story. Stealing the baseball cap, all that kind of stuff comes to mind. Like she's she doesn't have this like high moral ground to stand on. She's willing to do a bunch of crap herself. You know, that was a lot of talking. But I think I think this was an important episode for Allison backstory. And I think Allison and Patty relationship and their trust level. I think it was really important to see how she met Kevin, but also how she met Patty. And I'm going to throw out one more thing about that Patty portion. I think that because Patty had her own repressed sexuality battle going on in her head, I think that there's a little bit of a sense of like, yeah, why don't you just go get, you know, screwed over by another guy? 
when it's like in her heart, she was like thinking like, why can't you just like me? Uh-huh. You know, why can't you be interested in me? And so when the pretty girl says, I'm going to go off with this guy, even though he's like a complete idiot. I think there's some part of Patty that's like resentment there. Like why you have to continue to pick the idiots of the world when there are caring, loving women standing right in front of you. Right. Why do you guys keep choosing to be with them? Right. It's Ducky, right? Ducky and yeah. uh, and uh, Pretty and Pink. Pretty, pretty and pink. pink. You know, like Blaine? Kevin? <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about Patty. Let's talk about Patty and Neil. This episode starts in a troubling way because Neil, who looks absolutely horrible now, he he's just degraded since we last saw him, even more so. Even with the head wound, he looks even worse. Can't sleep. He's trying to steal weed from Patty. But then he also well, he's is- trying to steal her purse, her money. And I was like, ouch. Like when she reaches out and, and, and takes her purse from his hands. Oof. Is that her purse? I thought that was her weed collection. No, it was her purse. Was he was going to steal money. I thought he was going to steal the weed and smoke some of it and sell some of it because he wanted Mm-mm. money. Mm-mm. Okay, Mm-mm. well. He's taking I, money. But that's like, ugh, because they yeah. share a house. Yeah. And it's like the idea that you'd be like going in my purse in the middle of the night. Like 4 a.m., like super oh middle of the night. And, and that he has the indignity to like complain about getting hit with a bat and tries to sell. It's like, I was just trying to be quiet so not to wake you up. Neil always has a reason for his actions. The justification tap dancing he does in his own head that he says out loud is really interesting to watch now that we're getting to see him always in the single cam world. This is another instance, though. Remember last week we talked about how Patty switched to sister mode about the red sex hat and the anxiety just a yeah. fraction too late for Neil to accept her and said he said get out. Here she switches again to sister mode, but just as he's storming out and doesn't respond to her, right? She switches. I'll give you the money. Like the sister mode is there, but it, things have changed so much that it it, it takes too long for it to kick in for it to have an effect on neil it makes me feel bad for patty because she still wants to be his sister helping him out but she's actually had growth without realizing it that she knows she can't and shouldn't be doing that well and each time that you're giving the example she actually is reacting to something he's doing in a real way like i mean he was about to take her purse you know, and so she's reacting to that. It's not it's not so much that she's like not in sister mode. It's like she's actively getting burgled and she's acting like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you could have asked me for the money or whatever. And so it's not I didn't really take it that she went into sister mode so late. It was like she had to get past this situation in order for her to be like, look, don't storm out. We can talk about this. But like, dude, you were just stealing my purse. Like women's purses. That's like super duper freaking intrusive right and i want to make sure i'm clear when i say like she went into too late i'm not trying to say she should have tried to help him at all i meant more she switches into the sister i'll help you mode too late for where neil has already walked away or closed himself off right she doesn't say i'll give you the money when he's standing in front of her it's not until he's walking away that she says i'll give you the money Right. It's like last week. She doesn't say immediately, I'll help you find the hat. We'll figure it out together. She waits until he's already shut himself down and in still being angry at the world. He's gone from anxiety to just pissed off when she says, I'll help you. So it's not too late in the manner of she should have helped him, you know, earlier. What a bad sister. It's more 
too late insofar as getting through to Neil, where Neil is no longer hearing her. Maybe it's also like maybe Neil is also closing down faster. Yeah. So yeah. maybe it's the same amount of time, but it's just he's already like shut off to the world like that much quicker because his fuse is that much shorter. Well, he's spiraling. He's clearly spiraling. Yes. And the question is, why is he spiraling? Why can't he really sleep? Is it because of the head wound, which is what he says it is? Or is it guilt? Or is it some other emotion that he's feeling here? I feel like his spiraling, the anxiety attacks, the freaking out, all of it is not really about the head wound. Maybe it's partially about the head wound, but I think it's more his brain is trying to still reconcile the trauma. And I think his actions, I, I think the more I think about episode two and those memories, I think there's an, a large aspect of it, of him trying to reconcile. How did he get to me choking her, bending her over the counter and choking her for my phone? And again, his relationship with Kevin is killing him right yeah. now. I yeah. mean, this was yeah. the foundation of his entire existence, including Kevin, like paying for him. And I mean, God, I think he just slept at home. And other than that, he hung out the rest of the time with Kevin. So, you know, where does he fit in in the world? What is his place? What is he supposed to do day in and day out? There's a single cam moment here where Neil finally finds weed, right? And the camera zooms in on the back of his head. He's sitting in his chair in his living room, and he's he's clearly, like, exhaling from, like, a hit. And then it flips around, and Kevin is calling him, right? And he picks up the phone. His hey, buddy, is so strained. It's, hey, buddy. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm coming. Up until now, everything we know about Neil is that like, he wouldn't have had to been called for Halloween. He would have already been over. He would have been oh, at yeah. He would have been at Kevin's house the entire day. But now, whether because he feels like his relationship with Kevin has changed or because he can't reconcile what he knows about Allison and Patty and doesn't and it feels weird for him to be around Kevin. But I think it's the first. I think it's he knows his relationship is to Kevin has changed because of Allison's words that he laughs when you bleed and maybe one day you'll see that. I really think that's doing a number on him and he does see it now. I think he's seeing it more and more. We see it in this episode. Kevin blames being scared on Neil being scared constantly. Not that they're scared. It's always Neil is scared. And Neil has this body language moment. He's in the background. He's kind of behind Kevin the way we're looking at the camera or the camera is looking at them. And he has body language of like, what the fuck? Like, it's not me. It's, (laughs) it's, it's really interesting how even in the multicam, his whole deference to Kevin has changed. And we really see it in this episode. Yeah. It's one of those things that where you say like, don't show me because I can't unsee it or I'm not going to be able to unhear something. Now that the curtain's been pulled back, everything's ruined. Like he can't see. And when I say ruined, I mean, everything's ruined from like he's allowed to live in this like ignorance world um, of, you know, like everything's okay. Now, everything that Kevin says and everything Kevin does, he's like reading into and like realizing like, wait a minute, is he talking about me? Or like, is he trying to say I'm stupid or like whatever? Like it's all playing out in front of his eyes. And every single time it happens, I feel like it takes a little piece out of him, you know, And, and you can see the pained look on his face, you know, throughout every single time something happens. Oh, God, when he gets up after the the call in the living room and he says i'll be right over they mm-hmm. smacks his head like three times and not like not like a, not like a light know. tap like a full metal jacket like smacking himself kind of yeah. thing 
Yeah. And like preparing to go in to something like insane, you know, like when you, you're like, like hyping your own self up, like, you know, what you're going to go into is going to be like completely crazy. And so there's just like, there's like that slapping around. You see it always in movies. I don't know anybody that actually slaps their face around. But... Yeah. Like the second up for battle. <laughs> so kind far of thing. as I know, <laughs> right. maybe they do it privately before they come in, but it's I like, never see that. It's like you, you like smack yourself to like, I mean, maybe to wake yourself up, but also to like dull the nerves so Kinda, that when, yeah. when like, the pain like, actually like, comes, the real pain, you don't feel it as much. And like game, get your like game face on, yeah. you know, yeah. like get ready, get ready. You're, you're going to have to go play this part. Now, we go from that scene to back to Tammy's house, where the sister, her sister is uh, having a little game night. What was your reaction when you learn, when we learn that Neil has called her miscalled 13 times? So I thought this was great writing in terms of building this tension of like why... We had no other reason to believe that Neil would be calling other than to confess and tell all the things that he knows about, you know, what's going on with Allison and Patty and everything like we think that's certainly the only thing that it could possibly be. That's why this is so well done, because, you know, this whole Halloween thing seemed like, why are they setting us up with this? Like, what is this portion going to like? How is it going to affect the bigger story? Like, what a silly little sideline. But when you see like, no, it actually was like crucial to like the silly reason why why Neil's actually calling. Very well done. And they didn't like pay it off immediately, even when they eventually go and they're tight on Pete, Kevin and Neil on the couch and they're being scaredy cats and they're having their jump scare with their Halloween blanket. Like they're tight on it. Like they 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 really make you wait to pull back and see that Tammy has been called over there kind of thing. But even more so. But that's actually not why. Right. It's not just that Tammy is new Allison trying to be there to keep them from being too scared. They go into the whole story, and again, imagine this in single cam. Imagine this is a single cam where Kevin and and Neil are talking about how they heard an intruder downstairs, so they called a cop to their house who unholstered their gun, Mm -hmm. went into the basement, and almost shot Pete, who, by the way, is squatting in the house. And has for two weeks? Insane. I was like, what the hell? Again, you're so right. Like, I would love to see, you know, like even just like a a reading of this done in single cam so that we could actually get like a feel of like how crazy that would have been had it not been in this jokey jokey world. I mean, Pete's been in there for two weeks, Mike. What the hell? It's crazy. And what is Tammy doing knowing who Kevin is? And even at this point, she has to have a sense of who Kevin is. What is she doing going over there and unholstering her gun? I guess because it's Neil. How is she not more naturally suspicious of it? Well, not because it's Kevin, but but, but flip the camera the Neil. other way. It's Patty's brother. Yeah, I guess that's It's right. your that girlfriend's brother who's been calling so many times and is like freaked out about stuff. Like, surely this must be something to be actually upset about. But holy smokes. I mean, when they laugh, I'm like, we almost shot Pete. Like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, this would play out amazingly in single camera. That's all, that's all of these multicam scenes. The first thing now in my brain is, I imagine them playing out in single cam and and the way because it's always more menacing. It's always more terrifying. It is always more unsettling. None of these scenes really translate into a funny way when you translate it from multicam into single cam. Not at all. No, it's all and it's 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 all menace and and, and innuendo, terrifying innuendo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very freaky. Uh, Very, very freaky. Um, (laughs) 
we have to put on the board because we put the pill bottle audio clip on the board last week and we have another little piece of it at the sister's house. Tammy is ragging on her sister for taking her phone. The sister knows that she really just wants to see if she's gotten a text from Patty. Tammy says, you know, I'm also waiting on like official police business. And she mentions she's waiting on surveillance footage from a police station in Vermont. Now, this is definitely related to that pill bottle because we know that Allison and Patty got the pill bottle in Vermont when they got it from the trucker. So this is not being dropped. She is scratching this itch. We talked about this last week. Is this something that she's just going to drop as an unexplained in a case that is otherwise closed? Or is she going to scratch the thing that was, you know, itching at her? And it seems like she is definitely scratching that itch. This can't work out well for Patty and Allison. Agreed. I was like, oh, no, like Vermont gas station uh, footage. Oh, no, this is this is not good for us at all. If you are Allison and Patty and you were going to be going on this mortuary heist at Capo Biancos, because I like saying the name. <laughs> it is such a crazy name. It's a great name. It sounds like an Italian meat. Be like, oh, I'll take some Capo Bianco, you know, with some <laughs> mortadelle and some uh, salami on a sandwich. <laughs> Anyway, uh, if you were going there and everyone had to make an excuse about why you couldn't go to game night or why you couldn't be at Halloween, why don't you coordinate your stories? I mean, I think so. It drove me crazy that Patty says they're going to get a coffee table. And that makes sense that she couldn't say we're going to the movies. But Allison says we're going to the movies. There has to be a third option that gets you both out of your respective partner's crosshairs for the night. Well, I thought it was fascinating that it was Kevin who was like, oh, so that's why you lied and said you went to the movies because you don't want me to get upset about that coffee table. Like he like filled it in. Like she didn't even have to say anything. She's like, that's right. That's why I told you that. Like his selfishness often pays off for Allison. Yes. And this is just another instance because because he says that Tammy doesn't take Patty to the woodshed about the lie. Guys, just get your story straight. Come on. This is amateur stuff. I don't even think they care about getting their story straight. I mean, it's, it is like bigger fish to fry. And also it does feel like the only one who should worry is Patty because Tammy obviously is going to listen to the excuse. She has asked why every time when she's like, I can't go to game night. She's like, why? Right. Kevin doesn't ever ask why, you know, he's just like, whatever. Cause I've been thinking about since you said it in the last episode, and I love that you just said that she always asks the why, cause you Mm. made a great point in the last episode when Tammy says, I've got a work thing to do. Patty didn't ask what's it about. She didn't ask the why it's very much the difference in their relationship. I want to end on this movie's audio clip here. Hey, Jesus. Well, that was a bit dramatic. Okay, well, you walk really quiet. No one has ever accused me of that before. I can also walk really quietly away. No, 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 no. I promise I won't be a dick. I'm just freaked out. Can't do this without you. Say it again. I cannot do this without you. Okay, that's better. And thank you so much. And I care for you a great deal. Me too, whatever. What'd you tell Kevin we're doing tonight? Uh, seeing a movie. Just once when you said we were going to the movies. I wish we were actually going to the movies. Well, we can when this is all over. We can't, Allison. Because you'll be dead. 
this is a nice little moment as they're walking to Capabianco's mortuary. You know, Patty says they're exchanging their excuses. And neither of them seem to be freaked out about the fact that they gave two very different excuses. They must not be concerned that these two, that Tammy is going to wind up at her house, at Allison's well, house. Why later would than... she think he w- she, w- she should be a game night? <laughs> because nothing ever goes the way these two plan it. That's why uh... she sh- you should assume the worst. Anyway, she, you know, Patty has a great line. She <laughs> says, I wish just once when we were lying and saying we were going to the movies we actually were and i love that moment but allison says well we could do it when this is all over when patty says we won't be able to do that allison because you're going to be dead man that made it feel very real like so many uh, so many aspects of this episode really brought home this is a thing that allison is doing and the consequences of it that i don't know that she has really thought through a lot of different aspects of this episode really made it hit home and this line for me anyway made it very real for these two characters I very much, like, my heart absorbed that one of these times when we say we're going to the movies, I wish we were really going to the movies. That part, I was like, oh, my God. Because sometimes, you know, life gets so crazy and maybe you do say stuff like that, like, oh, we're just going to the movies or whatever. But, like, wouldn't it be nice to just go to the movies? Like, like they, they really do have a desire to have a real authentic friendship and more for Patty, for sure. They want that so bad and it's all been so like dumbed down to this like having to just use each other all the time. You know, like we can't have this authentic, genuine friendship because we're always having to use each other. And it hurt because you could see that they both really genuinely would like to be, I don't know, more than friends for Patty, but definitely friends for Allison and you know I don't I don't know do you think Allison has romantic feelings for Patty or is that dormant in there anywhere is there a possibility no I think all of her authentic feelings for Patty stem from a place of love because she is a human that sees her and values her in a way that she hasn't had probably since her dad died But I don't think that is romantic in any way. I think it is the truest of platonic love feelings. I think. I think. I think the only the only thing that ever made me stop and question that is at the end of season one, right before Neil comes out of the closet, (laughs) when Patty and Allison are having their fight in the living room. Allison starts to say something. This is after she says, you lifted me up. You brought me back from the dead. I wouldn't be here without you. I need you. She starts to say something more and she stops herself and Patty's start and Patty eggs her on. She's like, what? What were you going to say? What were you going to say? And Allison completely backs off. You could see her decelerate from whatever she was going to say. That was the only time that it made me question whether or not she had romantic feelings for Patty. I'm very uncertain about what we're supposed to glean about Allison's feelings for Patty. Because I do think it's so deep and it's so real. I don't I don't and maybe it's like beside the point. Like who cares if it's like romance? It's like two human souls who like actually found each other and really can encourage each other and be there for each other support wise. So maybe like stripping away like things like sexuality or anything, but just looking at it like these are two humans who just really there's a need there. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly. I'm gonna have to sort this out. I'm gonna put this on the board. Please like pin it up there for me. Cause I just I have to think about the two of them and think about because I know we use words like female friendship and stuff, but I think that there's a, a deeper examination of friendship here that's happening 
it's like I need to take the romantic sexual side out of the equation for a minute and just kind of look at the two of them as like, what is it that they get from one another? They obviously have parts to them that they do respect about each other and they do compliment about each other. But I just I can't quite get I don't know. I'm going to need the rest of the season here, I think, to to really understand their connection and their bond. It's undeniable they have a bond. Right. I just don't know if I quite know what it is exactly yet or even if I can put a label on it. I, but I, And I think the show wants you to ask those questions. And I think the show doesn't want you to have a definitive spoon fed answer for a show that does explain a lot of things and makes motivations and actions clear. I think this is an area where they have been specifically opaque about what the right answer is. Even from Patty to Allison, like you're saying, where it seems much more concrete that she has romantic feelings, more beyond just platonic friendship for Allison, it's not a slam dunk. It could easily as be, I've never had a real friend or a real female friend, and female friendship is different than mixed gender friendship, the same way male friendship is different than mixed gender friendship. And they are unique, you know, uh, they just are. So it can easily be that which we're actually exploring and not romantic feelings, or it could be romantic feelings. I think the show has actually been really smart with keeping it opaque because it wants you to keep guessing. It wants you to stay invested and in looking for the clues. But also, I think you're right when you say that maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe just the net effect that these two are, have a bond is enough and we don't need to know what the specific bond is, that could also be true. Well, there are certainly very successful, enviable relationships out there that are quote unquote romantic in nature, but people don't actually have sex or whatever in that relationship. They just have like all the nurturing and caring and loving and watching out for each other and paying attention to each other and working together to common goals and stuff like that where like sex can be taken out of the equation. If Allison is not a lesbian or is not bisexual or is not anything, then like if there is that element of like, I don't know that it needs to have a label. I don't know. I don't know if female friendship, when I, when you say that, or when I say that, if we're already intimating a deeper, more caring, more nurturing relationship, why do we bother to say female? Why, why, do we, why don't we just say they're friends? Why do we say female friendship? I think female friendship is different than male friendship. Whether or not there actually is a difference, I think society feels there's a difference. I think society treats female friendship and the expectations of it differently than male friendship and male friendship is treated differently than female friendship, both of which I think are different treatedly than mixed gender friendship. And I think the idea that mixed gender friendship is an illusion that you can't actually have true male female friendship without there being a sexual or romantic component to it. I think all three different level kinds of friendship based on the most basic concepts of gender and identity I think are all treated different by society. So I, I think hope listeners, I hope you're just understanding, like take this all with like a grain of salt and give us all some grace because we're talking this out, but I know for certainty we are not using the right labels, the right descriptors, the right, right the language we're using is I'm positive, not exactly right. But I really want to have a deeper understanding of Patty and Allison. And I think that a lot of this for me might even be stemming from 
you know, knowing that Annie Murphy and Mary Hollis have this really deep connection. Like they said that, that it was like love at first sight for them as the actual actors. And yeah. so for them, they were such fast friends and they just like immediately loved each other that I think I might be like layering that in too <laughs> because I yeah. know that real life portion. And so then I'm like, I'm really trying to understand something that maybe it's not something that you like think about in your mind. You just feel it. You just know that these two have this deeper connection. I, and I got to tell you, I can't shake David Rose uh, and Stevie and the wine labels and the yeah. labels and the wine and just, bottles kind of conversation. Yeah. It, it's all it all is mixed in in the discussion. But whatever the answer is, I think the show has been good about not telling us definitively. Which I appreciate because I think it makes for an interesting discussion. So, and I don't know if there's a definitive answer. You know, I don't oh, know yeah. if it's if it's just like there there is no correct way to describe this. It's just it's two people who would like go to these great lengths for one another, and far more than I would say. Just like what we what you might call someone a friend. Like this is more than that. Well, Patty goes to great lengths for Allison. Allison goes to lesser great lengths for Patty, which I think is, I, which I know sounds like a cheap dig at Allison, but I think it's true. And I think it's an important distinction when you're discussing the levels of friendship. I don't think, true. I don't think Allison is the same level of friendship to Patty as Patty is to Allison based on what we see. Maybe she okay. does a ton of shit for Patty that we don't see on the screen, but based on what we see, it's much more of a one sided friendship than a true mutual friendship would be. I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think that would have been season one, but I think we're getting deeper and more into this than. And I hope we see that. more of it. Yeah, I do too. I really do. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Kevin Can Podcast himself. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe and leave us a five-star rating while you're there, it would be fantastic. It helps promote the show. It helps give it visibility. It helps Apple and Spotify say, hey, more people should listen to this show and promote it for us. So please do that. And you know what? That way we don't have to push you into an empty grave. Oh, my God. Thanks for listening. Happy Halloween! Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.